0: Well, what a blessing. God has been so good to us. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? I want to ask you to join me in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms this morning, chapter 40. And if you'll just kind of shut your Bible and open in the middle, you should be probably somewhere close to the book of Psalms. Chapter number 40, page number 618, if you have an old Scofield Bible. All right? Psalms chapter 40 this morning. I'd like to read just two or three verses here and for our Thanksgiving message this year, all right? Of course, you probably ought to preach on Thanksgiving every Sunday, amen? Uh, God is good to us not just one time a year. God's good to us all throughout the year, and he sure is. Praise the Lord for that. Psalms chapter 40. Now, don't forget our service tonight, 530. Of course, 505 for prayer room, and then, of course, we'll be having communion during the service tonight, and I hope you'll be here for that special time of giving thanks unto the Lord for our salvation. All right, Psalms chapter 40. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. All right, I want you to look this way if you will. As we are all well aware of, this coming Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. And for the 38th straight year, one of the mainstays of the traditional Thanksgiving Day meal has been something called the Butterball Hotline. I read this week, that Butterball Turkeys are celebrating their 62nd year as a company, and for 38 of those 62 years, they have every Thanksgiving Day offered what they call the Butterball Turkey Hotline to those that are going through something that they call turkey trauma. That's right, turkey trauma. In case maybe some of our ladies may need the number, I've asked them to put the number up on the screen this morning. It's 1 800 288 8372. So if you have a, b- b- leave it up, guys, just a moment. Uh, that turkey there looks pretty burnt to me. In fact, it's got smoke coming off of it. And uh, so, uh, anyway, somebody said, to thank God for uh, smoke detectors. They'll let you know when the turkey's done. And uh, so, uh, but leave that up for just a moment. The turkey, uh, hot, butterball turkey talk line for those who are going through turkey trauma. In fact, I read this about this. I read this that the first year it opened, 38 years ago, they had six people manning the phones, and they received on Thanksgiving Day 11,000 phone calls. Now, 38 years later, they have 50 people manning the phones of the Butterball Hotline each year, and during this 38 period, they estimate they had received a total of 3.5 million calls for people who are having turkey trauma. USA Today recently did an article on the Butterball Hotline, and here and what they did, they listed some of the more interesting calls that they've had to come in through the years, and here's just a few of them. This one woman from Colorado called in one time, and she had stored her uh, her Butterball turkey in a snowbank outside her house, and it had snowed some more, and she couldn't find it. So she called the Butterball Turkey Hotline asking them if they could help her find her turkey. Another one came in uh, from another woman who wanted to know if it was okay to stuff your turkey with, of all things, popcorn. That's right. A man called in and wanted to know why his turkey was making his oven smoke so bad. He said the instructions read to remove the turkey from the wrapper and place it on the rack. He thought it meant placing, on, on, literally placing it on the rack. So he put the bird right in the oven, and the drippings and the fat, you know, was dripping down right on the burners, and it smoked up his whole house. Had to call the fire department out there. That's right. Another one called in, and boy, this is listen to this one. Another one called in and wanted to know how to thaw a fresh turkey. The person who took the call said it took her 20 minutes to convince the lady that you do not have to thaw a fresh turkey. And then here's the most humorous one, and we'll move on. Uh, A a lady called in, and she was really upset because her turkey tasted funny. Well, they talked for a while trying to figure out what the problem was, and finally the lady acknowledged she had cleaned her turkey with Clorox. She said the wrapper said to clean the turkey, so she thought using Clorox would disinfect it. And she was furious when they told her, hey, lady, throw the turkey away and just start all over again. Well, there's the number. Please don't use Clorox and, uh, if you need help for turkey trauma. Now, we've got to confess, there's a lot of people that have turkey trauma when it comes to preparing their Thanksgiving turkey. But have you ever thought about the trauma that a turkey goes through on Thanksgiving? I read this week that in America, the week of thank- or leading up to thanksgiving over 46 million turkeys will lose their lives 88% of us are going to eat turkey this coming thanksgiving and listen to this throughout the year the average american eats 18 pounds of turkey each and every year that leads me to ask this question what do you call a turkey the day after thanksgiving lucky <laughs> Why do cranberries turn red? Because they see the turkey dressing. Okay, all right, enough enough is enough. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I slipped right out. Think about the trauma that a turkey goes through each and every Thanksgiving. I read this poem. I want to read it to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's uh, listen, it, it says this. It's, it's one turkey talking to another turkey. It goes like this. When I was a young turkey, new to the coop, My big brother, Mike, took me out on the stoop. Then he sat me down and he spoke real slow and he told me there was something that I had to know. His look and his tone I'll always remember when he told me of the horrors of Black November. Come about August, now listen to me, each day you'll get thick where once you were thin and you'll grow a big rubbery thing under your chin. And then one morning when you're warm in your bed, In'll burst a farmer's wife and she'll hack off your head. Then she'll pluck out your feathers so you're bald and pink, scoop out your insides and leave you lying in the sink. And then comes the worst part. He said, not bluffing. She'll spread your cheeks and stuff you with, uh, and pack your rear with stuffing. (laughs) Now, the rest of the words, his words, were too grim to repeat. I sat on the stoop like a winged piece of meat. And decided on the spot to avoid being overcooked with crepes. I stayed in my room doing Jane Fonda tapes. I maintained my weight of two and a half pounds and tried not to notice when the bigger birds laughed. But though I was laughing under my breath as they chomped and they chewed ever closer to death, and sure enough, when Black November rolled around, I was the last turkey standing in the entire compound. So now I'm a pet in the farmer's wife laughed. I haven't a worry. So I eat and I nap. She helped me today while sewing and humming and smiled at me and said, Christmas is coming. (laughs) The trauma that turkeys must go through. So this morning, this morning, I want to preach on this subject right here. At Thanksgiving, only turkeys aren't thankful. Take out however you want to. At Thanksgiving, Only turkeys aren't thankful. Now, I've got to tell you something, I'm thankful this Thanksgiving that I'm not a turkey. What about you? But along with that, being thankful that I'm not a turkey, there's some other things I'd like to thank God for this morning as well. So I want you to join me now in Psalms chapter 40. Let's begin reading with verse 1. Let me read verse 1, verse number 2, and verse number 3. Leave your Bibles open. We're going to kind of break these verses apart. Look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song, he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, I have just read, I know probably you're thinking, well, you know, that's good, but what's that got to do with us? Well, as I look at verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3, I see three things we can really be thankful for this morning. And, and, and besides not being a tu- turkey on this Thanksgiving day, I can be thankful for three things found in verse 1, verse 2, and verse number 3. So let me, let me say it like this. Look at verse 1. Number 1, I want you to notice David's mounting problems. David's mounting problems. Now, verse number one clues us in on the fact that David is uh, there's some things that's gone wrong in David's life. He's facing some problems in his life, and I say that on the basis there in verse number one, where David speaks about crying. God, he said, he inclined unto me and he heard my cry so david's been crying about something he's been crying out to god about something and i get it you know sometimes tears are a, a result sometimes of things that make us happy for instance you see ladies crying at weddings and and uh, or maybe crying when they receive gifts or whatever and sometimes we cry as a result of being happy but more often than not tears are a sign that something is wrong either physically Or emotionally, tears alert us that something's wrong. For instance, sometimes when we hurt physically, hurt in pain so bad, you know, the tears flow down. And then sometimes emotionally we cry because our heart has been broke. And David in our text has been crying. He's facing some mounting problems. You know, somebody once suggested this, and this is so true. They, they tell us that when you read through the books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, when you read through those books, you find out what David was going through on the outside. From an outside perspective, you kind of get an understanding of what David was going through in life on the outside. But when you read through the Psalms that David wrote, you kind of get a perspective of what David was going through on the inside. You know, as he faced all of those things on the outside, you kind of get an idea of what he was feeling on the inside. And if that be true, and it is, then I think we kind of definitely get an idea of how David was feeling as he faced some terrible things that he was going through on the outside. Now, the one thing I want to get you say, Preacher, what was he going through? Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of disagreement in Psalms 40, as to, the, as, as to the mounting problems that David had in his life. For instance, there are some who look at this psalm and they say, oh, yeah, here's what the problem was. He wrote this psalm during the days when King Saul was hunting him down. You remember those days back in the book of Samuel, uh, the first and second Samuel when David and, and King Saul got insanely jealous of David? and he threw javelins at him. He he tried to get the armies to kill David. In fact, he was going to kill him himself. I mean, Saul was insanely jealous of little old David. When David killed Goliath in the Valley of Elah, David became an instantaneous, overnight hero in the land of Israel. All the Walmarts were selling G.I. David dots. And G.I. Saul does. The sales had dropped off tremendously because David had become a national hero overnight because he killed Goliath. But well, I want to tell you something, Saul didn't like that. And when those, well, those radio stations back in those days started playing that number one song back in those days, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousand. When they started playing that song, boy, you talk about hit the roof. Saul wanted David dead, and Saul hunted him down. I mean, from place to place to place, Saul was stalking David. Saul wanted David dead. Now, they say that David is writing the psalm as Saul is hunting him down on the basis of what we find there in verse number 6. Look at verse 6, Psalms 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Now, that takes us back to an incident in Saul's life when Saul went to fight with the Amalekites and and, and God had given him instructions through Samuel the prophet, kill all the Amalekites and kill all their beasts. Kill the whole crowd. Don't leave anything alive. And Saul brought back the oxen and the sheep. And when Samuel went to him, he said, why did you disobey the Lord? He said, man, I brought this back for sacrifice and for offering. And they say on the basis of that, in verse number 6, that David is writing, we're finally getting, kind of getting an idea of how he feels on the inside as he's running from place to place from King Saul. There are others who say the mounting problems that David is facing is during the days of Absalom when his son wanted David dead. You remember after David sinned and, and uh, Absalom, his son, rose up in rebellion against his own daddy? Now, I've got to tell you something. One thing, it's one thing to have a Saul on your trail. It's another thing for one of your own children to want you dead. I mean, we hear stories about that today. We almost gasp about that, thinking, man, how in the world could a son or a daughter want to kill their mama or their daddy? But that's exactly what Absalom wanted to do. He wanted his daddy dead. Remember the story uh, in the books of First uh, and Second Samuel how that Absalom hunted down uh, David and, and, and wanted him dead, gathered his armies together, went out to fight with David and his men in order to kill his daddy? They say that now in Psalms 40 on the basis of verse 13, 14, and 15. Look at verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. They say David's writing this now as he's running from his own son. Look at verse number 14. Let them be ashamed and confess. Bounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, aha, aha. You know what David is saying? Uh, some people say this mounting problem is, is Saul chasing him. Others say it was the days of when Absalom was chasing his own daddy. But then there's a third notion about this. There are some people who say the mounting problems that David had in this psalm right here is out of his own sin and disobedience to God. You see, we remember that David was not only a great saint. Are these lights flicking on and off or am I dying? You're dying too, right? Okay. Okay, well, if the lights go out, somebody cut the flashlights on. All right, listen to me. So, David sinned grievously. He was not only a great saint; David was a great sinner, and David sinned mightily against God. Remember the story: he committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he had her husband killed. He's trying to cover it up, and the greatest, greatest cover up before Watergate. He's trying to; it was called Bathsheba Gate, and he was trying to cover it all up, and he didn't want anybody to know about it. They say David's mounting problem in this text, what he's facing, what he's overwhelmed by. Is by his own sin, and they use verse 12 to say it. Look at verse 12: For innumerable evils have compassed me about; uh, compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart felt it. I, the truth of the matter is, I don't know what's going on in David's life at this point. But the one thing that we gather from this text is he's crying. And the reason that he's crying is because he's got some mounting problems in his life. Now, I've got to ask you a question this morning. Do you have any mounting problems in your life this morning? Maybe your problem is similar to David in the thing. You've got a, a, an outsider that's wanting to do you wrong, like Saul was wanting to do David wrong. Maybe you've developed an enemy in this walk of life, and that enemy is doing its best to get you fired from your job. That enemy is doing its best to destroy your reputation, to wreck your char- character, to destroy your career. Maybe, maybe your mounting problem is you've got an enemy in this world somewhere. You've got somebody that's trying to do you wrong, just like Saul was trying to do David wrong. But then again, maybe your mounting problems is from your family. Maybe you've got family problems. I was getting dressed this morning to come to church, and uh, they, they had this segment on the news, the Channel 2 news, uh, this morning what, to, what to, not to do around the, the Thanksgiving table, uh, the topics not to talk about around the Thanksgiving table. And this lady was giving everybody advice now, don't bring up politics at Thanksgiving, and don't bring up religion. And don't bring up the fact that you're not married. And and they were just talking about, you know, these are not times to discuss stuff like this because in, in essence what she was saying is everybody's got family. You got a crazy cousin or a brother or a sister. You got somebody in your family you just don't get along with. You know, maybe your mounting problem is with a member of your own family. Maybe it's one of your own children. Just like David, maybe your mounting problem could be an outsider trying to do you wrong. It could be a member of your own family that you just don't get along with and, boy, there's bad feelings there. Or maybe, maybe your mounting problems is from your own failure, just like in David's life. Maybe you've made some bad choices. Maybe you've done some things totally against the will of God for your life. Maybe you've stepped outside of the relationship of marriage and, boy, you find yourself this morning just eat up with guilt. Maybe you sit here this morning, you've made some bad choices, and your life is at a point and place that you never dreamed that you would be in. You're facing such a dismal future because of choices that you have made. Let me say this. Here's what I thank God for. For my mounting problems, I am thankful God has a listening ear. Amen. (laughs) Amen. That's the reason David said in Psalms 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. Notice this now. And he, what's the next word? He what? (laughs) He inclined unto me and he heard my cry. Now what I'm going to do this afternoon is I'm going to go home here in a little while and, We'll eat lunch and whatever we have for lunch, and, and then I'll get in the recliner at the house. I'll flick on Me TV to the Brady Bunch after the Brady Bunch, three hours of Gilligan's Island, and I will pull that chair back into high gear, and I will recline. But aren't you serving a God that doesn't glad we serve a God that doesn't recline? You know what the text said? God inclined. He didn't lay back. He sat up and he listened. I don't know what your mounting problem may be this morning. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but aren't you glad we serve a God that inclines and hears our cry? I don't know what kind of a struggle you're going through. I don't know what kind of a bondage you're in. I don't know what kind of an addiction you face. I don't know what you're you're going to face when you leave here today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know any of that, but I know one thing, that when you and I have mounting problems, we can thank God, we serve a God that has a listening ear. You know, buddy, when you talk to somebody, you really want them to listen, don't you? Sometimes my wife takes Gentry, our little granddaughter. We were wrestling on the floor. We call it having a fight breaking out at Papa's house. So we were wrestling, and she got on top the other day, and when she was on top, she grabbed my cheeks like this. She went, and she said, listen to me. Do you ever feel like sometimes you just need to grab your, your spouse and say, listen to me? You ever see some people, they look at you, and you but you know they're not listening to you? I am terrible for that. I listen, but I'm not not hearing. Aren't you glad? By the way, you ever notice when you go to the doctor sometime, you're going to have surgery or whatever, and one of the questions you have to fill out on that that pre-surgery stuff is this. Who to call in case of an emergency? Now, you're sitting in the doctor's office or in the hospital and they want to know who to call in case of an emergency. Duh, the doctor. (laughs) But aren't you glad in times of emergency, in times of mounting problems, aren't you glad we can call upon one who inclines unto us and hears our cry? Listen, I don't know again what you're going through today, but I want to invite you, take it to the Lord in prayer. Go to God about it. Hey, talk to Him. You know why? He inclines unto us, and He hears our cry. Number one, I'm thankful for my mounting problems. God has a listening ear. But now second of all, go to verse number two. Because in verse number two, we leave the mounting problems, and now we move to the miserable pit. We leave the mounting problems. We come now to a miserable pit. Look what he said in verse 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Now, if you really want to know how the severity of what David was going through, whether it was Saul, Absalom, his own fault, whatever it was, if you want to understand the severity of it, all you've got to do there is read verse number 2 because he describes these mounting problems as if they were a miserable pit. He talks about there a horrible pit. And he, mentions, and he mentions the miry clay. You know, I got to thinking, pits are pretty common in the Bible. Pits are. I mean, you read about pits throughout the Bible. Joseph... I mean, the very first book of the Bible, we read about Joseph being cast into a pit. In uh, Genesis 14, we read about something called a slime pit where Lot was taken captive by another nation. We read about Jeremiah who was put down into a pit and that Ethiopian eunuch, uh, what was his name? That old boy drew him up out of that pit. We, we go to the New Testament. We read about Paul being cast down. In, I mean, pits are pretty common, uh, a pretty common thing throughout uh, throughout the Bible. And now we find David here speaking about the situation that he's in. And by the way, I don't think he's in a literal pit here, but I think the situation that he finds himself in, uh, it almost makes him think that he is in a pit. That's right. I, I, I think David is in, a, in a, an emotional pit. I, I think he, and, and if it's, he's talking about his failure with Bathsheba. He's in a spiritual pit. I, I can see how all this would play out. In each one of those three different scenarios that I laid out for you just just a moment ago, you know, about David and all that had happened in his life, and then he describes, okay, as a result of these mounting problems, I feel like I'm in a miserable pit, and horrible pit stuck up in the miry clay, in the muck, in the mire of the pit. I can, I can see it. You know, that, that's the way sin is. Sin promises ecstasy, but it produces agony. Sin promises thrills, but eventually it kills. That's right. Sin promises us delight, but it always ends up in defeat. I can see if this psalm was written out of the sin of David, I could fully understand how he feels like he is in a pit in the miry clay. I I can understand that. But here's the second thing I'm thankful thankful for. When I have mounting problems, I'm glad God has a listening ear. But when I find myself in a miserable pit, I thank God that he has a long arm. (laughs) A long arm. Because the truth of the matter is, oftentimes in life, when we get down into the pits... of of, of our own failure or the pits that uh, predicaments places us in. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that can reach down into the pit where we find ourselves at? Aren't you glad he can reach down with his long arm and bring us out of those, those situations. Here's a good verse in your Bible. If you don't have this one Mark, you ought to mark this one. Isaiah 59, verse number 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Ne- Boy, here's two of them right here. Neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I'm glad I got a God with a listening ear, and I'm glad I got a God with a long arm, friend. When you get in a mess of your own making or a mess that somebody puts you in and you feel like you're sinking in the muck and in the mire and you're trying to scratch and claw and climb out and the more you, 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 progress you make, you hit a spot and slide right back down again and you just mire up further and further and further, I'm thankful that I can tell you there's a God in glory with a long arm who can reach down and bring you out. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, I want to tell you no matter how far you may have gone, no matter how deep you may have sunk, I'm glad when it comes to a miserable pit, there's a God that's got a long arm that can reach. Some of y'all remember where you were when God saved you? You can remember how you were going down and in your attempts to climb out of that pit by your own human effort, all you were doing was making the walls more slimy and finding yourself sinking further and further down. And by the way, can I tell you something? Everybody that's born into this world is born in the pit. Everybody that's ever been born of a woman into this world is in the pit of sin. I get it. Not everybody is sank to equal depths. I know there are some people, maybe that's just up to their ankles in the pit, but, man, there's some people that's up to their thighs, up to their chest, up to their net, through their drugs, alcohol, rebellion, disobedience, immorality. Man, they've gone further and further down. But I'm so faithful on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, no matter how far you may have gone down, no matter how bad you're mired up, thank God there's a God in heaven that's got a long enough arm that can reach out and lift you out. That's the reason David said he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. you remember where you were when God brought you up? <laughs> I tell you what, I don't ever want to slide back down. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. Notice what he said. He, he set my feet on a rock. Hey, I'm out of the pit. Uh, one old preacher said it like this, out of the mire and in the choir, off of drugs, off of dope and on to hope. Amen. Out of, the, out of the house of shame into the hall of fame. God can do that for anybody that will put their faith and trust in him. For, for my mounting problems, he's got a listening ear. For my miserable pit, he's got a long arm. I want to just say again this morning, no matter how far down you may have gone, there's a God in heaven that can reach you. You've never gone beyond the reach of God. If you'll come to him today, gather up. Hey, you say, Preacher, but I'm dirty. Preacher, but I, look, at all, look at me. I've got all this muck in the mire on me. Preacher, look how filthy I am. Well, I'm glad there's a God that can reach you and a God that can clean you up. Amen. How many of y'all glad you've been cleaned up by God? How many of you glad you've been reached by God? Boy, I have something to be thankful for this morning. That he has a listening ear. He heard my cry. That he has a long arm. He brought me up also. But there's a third thing. Join me now in verse number 3. David now in verse number 3 begins to praise God for what he's done. And I want you to notice David now begins to speak. Now he's gone from a mounting, a mounting problem to a miserable pit. Now he moves into something that I want to call a marvelous praise. Because in verse number 3, here's what he said. He had put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God, and many shall see it, and fear and shall trust in the Lord. You know what David's doing now? He's praising God for his deliverance. You know, it is entirely in order for God's people to gather in the house of God and pray, offer him praise for the fact that he's got a listening ear and a long arm and he's lifted us out. It's, it's okay to praise God for that. Hey, listen, you say, Preacher, I've moved beyond that just a little bit. I've been saved for several years, and I've kind of moved beyond all that stuff now, and I'm looking for something a little bit deeper. Friend, can I tell you something? You've done gone too far. If you move beyond, if you ever get over what God did for you, you've done gone too far, friend. Amen. I don't ever want to get over the fact that God saved my never-dying soul. God rescued me, and God's kept me from a lot of trouble in this walk of life. You know why? Because I gave my heart, yielded my life to Him. I don't want to get over that. You say, Preacher, tell me something a little deeper. Well, you were in a deep deep pit, but there was a big God that brought you out. You can't get no more deeper than that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And David begins to offer up this marvelous praise uh, for what God has done. Notice what he said. Look at verse 3. put a new song in my mouth. Now David's in a terrible predicament. But now he said, boy, I've got joy. He said, uh, look at that verse 3. He, he, he even prays unto our God. Boy, God can give you joy. Isn't there a verse over in our Bible, uh, over in Isaiah, that talks about God giving us uh, joy for our mourning Isn't there a verse that talks about God giving us us peace for our bitterness? Aren't you glad we we got a God that when we come to him with all these filthy garments on, God changes our apparel and God brings us out out of the pit and he puts a song in our heart, even praise unto our God. Then he goes on to say this, Many shall see and fear it and trust in the Lord. But then look at verse 4. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. I'm not trusting the Baptist church. I am a Baptist, but I'm not trusting the Baptist church to get me to heaven. I've been baptized, but I'm not trusting my baptism to get me to heaven. Hey, can I tell you something? I try to live right. Try to. I fail God every day, but I try to live right, but I'm not trusting my living to get me to heaven. Hey, listen to me. I, try to, I give to our church. I tithe every Sunday and offerings and, uh, and, and all that stuff. I give, but can I tell you? I'm not trusting that. I just, what are you trusting? Look at verse number 4. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. What are you trusting? Hey, let me ask you what they ask on TV. What have you got in your wallet? What are you trusting to get you to heaven? Look at verse 4. And respecteth not the proud nor to... Then look at verse 5. Many, O oh Lord. Here's thanksgiving. Here's, here's where we ought to be this morning. Verse 5. Many, O oh Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be. Now, you know what he's, now he's doing now? He's moved from that terrible situation in his life. And now he's got his focus on what God's done for him. And he said, you know something, if I sat down and just tried to count up what God has just done for me, he said, there's no way I could speak. He said, it's more than I can number. And can I say on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, what God has done for you and for me, we are so far behind on thanking him and praising him for how good that he's been to us. And, and everything he does for his day. You say, well, preacher, I tell you, I'm struggling right now. Well, look, God's still been good to you. Can I tell you something? I think back over this whole year since last Thanksgiving. Did you know something? And I'm not knocking anybody that has, so don't come up to me mad at me. This is not knocking anybody. I'm just saying I want to thank God that I hadn't had to stand on the street corner with a sign, we'll work for food this entire year. And if you'll look at me, I mean, he's fed me pretty good. Can I tell you this? This last year, I hadn't spent not one night in the hospital. This last year, I'm trying to think now, I hadn't had to follow not one of my close family members out to a graveyard, not a one. This last year, I'm just thinking now, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, I haven't been late on one house payment this entire year. Can I tell you something, boy? God's been good to us. Can I tell you this? I hadn't had to wake up. I hadn't had to wake up one morning, shake the snow off the covers I was sleeping under. I've woke up every morning that I wanted to, in in a warm house. And when it gets hot, I got a cool house. I got a roof. They sang about it. I got a roof up above me. I got shoes on my feet. Need to shine them, but I got shoes on my feet. I'm gonna go home today, and I'm gonna have a meal to eat. I, I'm telling you, friend, can I read verse 5 again? Y'all forgive me. Can I read verse 5? Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And all God's people said. Amen. Can I read it one more time? Many, let that sink in. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts which are to us, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be we need to quit grumbling and we need to start being grateful. Stop complaining and start giving thanks for how good God has been because at thanksgiving, only turkeys aren't thankful. Let's bow our heads. Father,